Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about IVF, infertility, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. I'm Gabby and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hello! Hiya! How is everyone today? Good Tuesday to you. <laughs> Jolly good Tuesday. <laughs> um, do you know, we are, I think we've resisted the urge to say see you next Tuesday. We really during have. During this entire... Yeah. I feel proud. Yeah, I think we're, we're more mature than that. I think pretty sure we've said it. Yeah, we must have said it. We're not mature it. at all, yeah, are we? Yeah, we're like we children. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've said it. Um, so, today... Yeah? Um, it's just you on the interview, Mike. It is, just me. Because I was busy being sick. You were puking your guts up. I was puking my guts it's up. It's not conducive to a good interview technique. No, it's not. I don't think... I mean, it adds a certain amount of atmosphere. It does. But I don't think in the long term. No, I think it might put her off. It might put her off. So you were speaking to... I was talking to Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. Cool. Who is an author. An author and podcaster. And fellow podcaster. podcaster. And, yeah, just... Um, this all-around cool, cool gal. Yeah, she's written a book called The Fifth Vital Sign, mm-hmm. which is all about using your menstrual cycle to diagnose other things and understand your body better. Yeah. Which is really cool. It is really cool. No one understands the menstrual cycle. No one, well, I, I mean, definitely don't. That's a that's a broad brush stroke there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I don't understand mine. <laughs> um, and I don't think I ever have. Cool. So it was good. Yeah, it was a really good chat. It was really interesting. Yeah, that like I, so we both read her book. And I found it so interesting because just it just says stuff like, you know, <laughs> It's funny because she she says you you can use your menstrual cycle to work out when you're most fertile, which obviously means that you can also use it to figure out when not to have sex if you're trying not to have a baby. Not that that's a problem for anyone listening to this podcast. No. But it's kind of the the rhythm method on steroids, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah, it is all really interesting. And, um, yeah, I think there's lots of clues in there that would have been useful Yeah. when I was just hashtag TTC, the natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, hopefully there'll be some nuggets in there for people. Sweet. 
Um, and this, this is our first transatlantic interview. It is. Not counting the Infertile Mafia girls. Yeah, That wasn't really an interview so yeah, much yeah, as yeah. us. We spoke to the United States. Yeah, exactly. Via WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they spoke back at us. Yes. Um, yeah. So that that went that went smoothly. It did go smoothly. It was really good. She's a, she's a, she knows a lot about so, her stuff. It's amazing what you can do these days with technology, isn't oh, it? Oh, technology is bloody amazing. Speak to someone in the United States no, of America. No, never, never. I know. Um, cool. And then we're speaking to Professor Tim. We are. And we asked him, like, not so much a medical question as a practical question. Yes. Which is, what should you do with your leftover IVF drugs? Yeah. Um, and he had some practical suggestions. Yeah. Sell them on the black market. Is that yeah. what he said? Yeah. He said, you know, sell them. Make a fast buck on the price. dark web. Yeah. Sell your used needles. <laughs> God. Pass on. He did not say that, listeners. No. No. Jokes. Jokes. We do not advise that at all. No. That would be a terrible idea. But do please listen to the end to find out what he did say. Yeah. Um, and that's it for Parish Notices. Oh, wait. What? Congratulations to Kat Strawbridge. Oh, shit. Who has had, as Natalie from Fertility Potty put it, the royal baby of the infertility community. Yeah, yeah. We are all beside ourselves. Yes. Cats appear twice on this podcast um, and it's also just, you know, if you're part of the kind of Insta fertility community, then you will know Cat. Yeah. Slash at trying years. Yes. Um, And she has just given birth to baby Wren. Yeah. Which is just adorable. Who just has the most perfect face I've ever seen. Yeah. I just want to squidge it. It's dreamy. Yep. Um, Yeah. So other than that. You can follow us. You can firstly you can rate and review. Oh, us. sorry. First, is that before, before people follow us? Maybe I think, they want to yeah. follow us first. No, I think rate and review first. Okay, fine. Then switch apps. Yeah. Go to Instagram. Yeah. Follow us on there. Yeah. At Big Fat Negative. And then switch apps again. Go to Twitter. Follow us on there. At Big Fat Negative. And then do it again and go to Facebook. Big Fat Negative. And then get on your emails. God, we're asking a lot, aren't we? Yeah. Close that app. Get on your emails. Tell us your story. Type in yeah bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And then um, probably just like have a drink. Yeah, I think you need to relax down. after that. A cup of tea. Yeah, because it's a lot of sharing you've just done. a lot of sharing. Yeah. But, but we, thank you. We appreciate everyone. Yeah, <laughs> um, please enjoy the podcast. Yeah. And have a great week. So, uh, Lisa... Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Gabby. <laughs> um, we are we're here to talk about your book that you've written, which is called The Fifth Vital Sign. Yes. Do you mind giving me a kind of explainer in a nutshell what the book is about? Yes. Um, so, I mean, the title of The Fifth Vital Sign, the central message with the book is that the menstrual cycle is important, regardless of whether or not you want to have children. And essentially, I'm making the argument that the menstrual cycle is like a vital sign, like any of the other vital signs. And what I mean by that, Mm. I mean, if you think about the most common vital signs that we're familiar with would be our heart rate, our body temperature, our respiratory rate or our blood pressure. And, you know, we all have a sense that if we were to go to the doctor and they were to take our vitals, if there was something that was off about them, if, say, the blood pressure was high, too high or too low, that not only would it tell the doctor that there's something wrong, 
but it would give the doctor a roadmap so they would know where to look because there's certain conditions that could cause high blood pressure or low blood pressure. And so in the very same way, the menstrual cycle relates information back to us about our overall health. Um, And so when I say menstrual cycle, I I mean your period and also everything that happens in between. Uh, Mm -hmm, And and having a good sense of what would be normal, uh, how long the cycle should be, how long the period should last, you know, ovulation needs to happen in a healthy cycle. And if any of those parts of the cycle are disrupted, not only would it give information that there could be something wrong, but also a specific roadmap for where to look for someone who's trained in interpreting menstrual cycle events. Wow, wow, it's all so interesting. But was, how did you get into this? Is it, It's based on your experiences um, in yourself, right? Um, well, it's a combination of my training. So I'm a certified fertility awareness educator and a holistic reproductive health practitioner. And so um, I did take a training program many years ago and then I took another training program um, to get myself, you know, certified to do this work. But in addition to that, I, you know, I first discovered fertility awareness when I was about, you know, the tender age of about 18. Um, Mm -hmm. I I like to joke and say that it was my post high school feminist phase. So I was newly in university. They had all these really great programs and guest speakers. And I had been on birth control, but not for birth control. I had been on the pill because I had heavy, painful periods. But because I was not using it for birth control, I wouldn't, you know, always take it at the same time. Sometimes I would forget. And I had read the package insert. So I knew that if I tried to add sex to the, the mix, I would always be nervous that I could be pregnant because I wasn't the best pill taker. So when I yeah. needed birth control, I kind of, I thought this through and I thought to myself, okay, you know, I don't think I could be comfortable on the pill. And I also had some concerns, some health concerns. Uh, I had seen my mom go through, you know, she had fibroids and then that caused really heavy periods for her. And she actually had a miscarriage after me and I I was the one and only child. And I know that my parents would have loved to have more. So I I saw her struggle with these things and I thought to myself, like, I don't, you know, there has to be another way. Like, I don't think it's normal to have periods so heavy and um, I don't want to end up having a hysterectomy. So, you know, there was just a part of me that was skeptical because I my lived experience with the pill was that while I was on it, the periods were lighter, the quote unquote air quote periods. <laughs> um, the withdrawal bleeds were lighter. But when I, you know, if I ever took a break or if I ever came off, the periods would be back to normal, like really heavy, really painful. So I had this sense of like, this can't be right. I don't think the pill's actually fixing it. So I didn't really feel comfortable being on it just for the long term. So um, I thought to myself, okay, I need birth control. I'm just going to come off the pill and see if I can figure out my cycles. And then at least if I use condoms, I'll know (laughs) if I'm pregnant or not. Um, And so it was right around that time that I discovered fertility awareness. And so uh, discovering fertility awareness changed everything for me because I had grown up thinking that I was fertile every day and that I could get pregnant all the time. And when I learned fertility awareness, I realized that there's only a small window of fertility. So from a scientific standpoint, there are only six days of the cycle when a woman is fertile. Um, We get to talk about why that is. Um, And Mm -hmm. when you're using the method, of course, you add a little buffer period around that. But essentially, you know, a third of your cycle then would be fertile in a healthy cycle and then two thirds are not. So um, that changed everything. It was like, wow, I don't have to be so scared of pregnancy all the time. I can actually learn about my cycle figure out when I'm fertile or not, and then use this. And so I, you know, started using the method and then I started teaching the method to women. And so, um, you know, looking back now, it's been almost 20 years in the field. So this book really comes from 
a place of experience from training. And then of course I've had my, my own podcast for, this will be the fifth year of the podcast. So I've interviewed over, you know, 200 experts, mm. <laughs> um, somewhere between <laughs> 150 and 200, I lost count. But, um, so the book is essentially my way of trying to provide this information in a really concise manner so that women can yeah. have it. Cause ultimately as you, you know, I, I would be curious about your experience growing up, but I'm guessing that you probably weren't given like a really detailed explanation of the menstrual cycle in your, you know, health uh, class. Absolutely not. <laughs> and, and, and every time it came up, it was like, you know, I didn't want to talk about it. It was embarrassing. It wasn't like presented as something that, that could be like almost like a special power, you know, something that we could actually learn from. And, you know, it was just something to be, to not be talked about, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's where, so in my experience then for my entire twenties, I was able to use fertility awareness successfully to avoid pregnancy, which was very convenient. I was able mm -hmm. to avoid hormones and, and it did work because I was, when I learned the method, I was learning around women who were certified and trained and who knew a lot more than me. So I learned how yeah. to do it correctly. And then Amazing. what really shifted for me was when, you know, my husband and I decided that we wanted to start families. So that was around late twenties, early thirties. And I had been taking this information for granted for all those years. I mean, it's really, by now, it's really natural to me. It's just a way of life. It's not a big deal. But, you know, as I looked around and my Facebook feed was full of babies, I realized that a lot of women were struggling to get pregnant. And to, even though I had been sitting on this information for all those years, your average woman today still has no idea how her cycle works and how her fertility works. And even if she's trying to conceive, may not know how to identify the best days to have sex in order for that to happen. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, that's what this is about, really. It's about just sharing this information. I don't believe in really sitting around and waiting for someone else to do it, because obviously, like, where does that get us? We just got to do it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I've, I've never done any proper charting. I've kind of I've tracked my cycles on an app, but but never with any great detail. How can you give me a quick overview of how charting works? Yes. Um, well, so with the fertility awareness method, you're tracking the three main fertile signs um, with the method that I teach. So I teach a version of the symptothermal method, which essentially means you're tracking your cervical mucus uh, observations, your cervical position and your basal body temperature. And mm -hmm. so when it comes to the actual act of charting, what it is, is you're going to make your observations every day. And at the end of the day, you're going to write those down or put them in your app, basically. And so to take you through the menstrual cycle, I think that might be the easiest way to explain how it works. Yeah. Uh, so the, Go for it. <laughs> day one of the menstrual cycle would be the first day of your period. So the first day of your true flow. A lot of women might experience some spotting before their period starts, but those days of light spotting wouldn't wouldn't count as the actual kind of first day of flow. Um, yeah. Okay. And so, in a healthy cycle, then you would expect to have a period that would last anywhere from about three to seven days, um, and then once your period stops, you are basically in the first half of your cycle, your pre-ovulatory phase. And so, what happens is your period stops, and you would typically have a couple of days before you start to observe your cervical fluid. Uh, so mm -hmm. in a healthy cycle, you would expect to have anywhere from about two to seven days of cervical fluid as you approach ovulation. And a lot of women may have experienced their cervical fluid, but of course, no one really talks about what it is. So a lot of women would have had no idea that it was a normal and healthy part of being a woman. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> cervical fluid can look like 
creamy white hand lotion and it can also look like raw clear stretchy egg whites so if you were to stretch it between right. your fingers it would form like a bit of a thread and so some women have experienced this where you know if you've ever had that sense you feel like a, a wetness or gushing or something and you go to the bathroom mm. and you're like oh my god my period started and then you go to the bathroom but there's no period uh, so some women may have experienced it that way um, some women may experience that at a certain time of the cycle you know you go to the bathroom and you wipe and your it's like your hand hits the back of the toilet because it's so slippery or it feels yeah. like you got to wipe a couple of times because there's something there and it's just more than usual um, and then other women may just find that it feels kind of wet throughout the day. And some women might actually end up at their doctor's office every month thinking that they have a recurrent infection, right? Because we're taught about discharge and all discharge means infection, right? Um, so there's a lot of ways that women may have encountered their mucus but not known that it was normal and healthy. But when you start charting, yeah. so I think the I should also say that these cervical mucus, you're not going to see that if you're on the pill or if you're on a hormonal type of birth control. So you would typically only see cervical mucus if you're cycling naturally. And Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because when you're on the pill, one of the reasons that the pill works, I mean, there's three main factors. One is that it suppresses ovulation. <laughs> uh, so you're not mm -hmm. ovulating. And uh, when you're not ovulating, you're not making your natural hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So you're getting the synthetic versions instead. And uh, so another main mode of action of the pill is that it, it causes your cervix to fill with a thick mucus plug. So your body would do that anyways in a natural cycle when you're not in mm -hmm. your fertile window. Uh, but when you're on the pill, it would just be like that all the time. So you wouldn't see right. cervical mucus when you're on the pill. So a lot of women, when they go off the pill, it's kind of like the first time that they're actually seeing it. Or maybe they'll remember a time in their you know, adolescent when they saw their mucus or something like that. Um, so when you're charting then, um, a part of, a big part of charting would be to pay attention. So when you go to the bathroom, I mean, for anyone listening, one of the ways to start doing that right now would be like, you go to the bathroom and you wipe, but you pay attention. Like, does it feel slippery? Does it feel dry? Is there anything there? Like if you look at the toilet paper when you're done wiping, do you see anything? Do you see anything in your underwear? Yeah. So just raising, getting, gaining an awareness of, uh, you know, when in your cycle you're actually seeing it and when you're not. And um, with charting, the reason why we care so much about mucus is that we've often heard, and you've probably heard that you can, you know, if you have sex with a man, the sperm can live in your body for up to five days. Um, but yes. that's only true when you have cervical mucus present. So the way that the cycle works is that a woman's vagina is naturally acidic. And that is on purpose to protect us from bacterial overgrowth and yeast overgrowth and things of that nature. And so outside of the fertile window, our vagina is actually really acidic. The cervix is closed with that thick mucus plug I was talking to you about. And the cervix yeah. is actually blocked. So when you have that plug in place um, and your cervix is closed and firm and hard and you can actually feel that if you were to check your cervix, the sperm cannot penetrate. So it, it can't go through like I like all these silly analogies. So my analogy would be like a nightclub, you know, when you're outside of your fertile window, there's a bouncer out front and you can't get through. So the sperm right. like no access. Um, but when you're in your fertile <laughs> window, um, your estrogen levels trigger your mucus production. So your cervix is actually open and you can feel that. So if you check your cervix every day for a cycle, you can feel the difference. Your cervix actually mm. will feel a bit open. Sometimes it'll feel like there's a dimple and your mucus is flowing. So you'll uh, be able to observe your mucus. And um, when you have that mucus flowing, 
That mucus is what keeps sperm alive for up to five days. It's sperm friendly, it's right. the right pH. It's actually uh, about the same pH as a man's seminal fluid. So it's kind of like our okay. complement to his semen, seminal fluid, not semen, but. Yeah, um, it's like you're rolling out the red carpet. Exactly. And, um, and so during the fertile window, the cervix is opened, as I mentioned, and we have these little um, folds inside of our cervix that uh, are called the cervical crypts and they basically act as reservoirs. So the sperm, our mucus draws the sperm into these reservoirs and they hang out in there for a couple days. And then as we approach ovulation, um, we produce a certain type of fluid that actually helps to push the sperm up into the uterus and fallopian tubes. When I describe it, it often sounds like a video game or like a sci-fi movie or something. Um, but it's really neat. There's a lot of science, you know, in the book, I cite over a thousand references. So I live in that space of like, I don't want you just to take my word for it. Like there's solid science to back up these biological processes. So um, you, you know, anyone can go and look up the information, but it's really, it's really fascinating. So uh, when you're charting, essentially the whole point is to figure out when you're in this amazing fertile window and when you're not. Um, and so yeah, absolutely. that's the mucus part and then the, the cervical position part because your cervix is softer and higher and open in this window and then outside of it, it's like low, firm and closed. Can we actually, um, can we talk about cervical position? Because it's something that um, we've not really discussed on the podcast before. And I, I mean, Emma and I have no idea how to check the position of your cervix. It seems like it might be quite hard. Can you chat me through that a little bit? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, checking your cervix from the most simplest standpoint, you would insert, like wash your hands and then insert your middle finger into your vagina and essentially feel for your cervix. Uh, so the cervix is the end, the lower part of the uterus. And so when I visualize the cervix, I'm a real visual person. So if we were sitting, you know, if we were going for coffee right now and I was sitting in front of you, I would probably hold my hand up in front of you um, to show you that the cervix is the lower part of the uterus. And so what happens throughout the cycle is that the whole uterus actually changes position. So when you are reaching inside of your vagina, you're actually feeling um, the change in the firmness, so how firm it is to the touch, in the openness, whether it feels open or closed, and also in the position. So the cervix can actually be a bit tilted. Uh, and so, you know, in order to check your cervix, my best advice for anyone who wants to jump in and, and figure this out is to check your cervix once a day for one full cycle. So that's what I always recommend to my clients. Because um, any woman who is charting and has, you know, jumped into this whole world of fertility awareness and who's actually tried to check her cervix, often what happens is you check it for a couple of days, it feels like confusing and you don't know what you're feeling. And then you stop because it's just like, I don't understand this. Um, and so really the only way to try to figure out what, how your cervix is different in your fertile window versus outside of it is to just do it. Like, trust me, I know it's, it'll be confusing along the way and you'll want, you know, you'll be cursing me like, you know, the squirrel Lisa told me yeah. to check my cervix and I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm feeling, but just trust me, just keep doing it. Check it once a day, you know, for the whole cycle. And just, you know, I, I, a lot of my clients turn on paper, but you can do it in your app or whatever. But for instance, if I was trying on paper, I would just like draw little circles. Like, is the circle low today? Is it high today? Does it feel open today? Does it feel right. closed today? And just literally drawing, drawing it. Um, and so if you do that every day for one full cycle, you won't know what you're feeling necessarily like day to day. But when you look at what's happening, especially if you're also looking at your mucus and your temperature, which we'll get to, um, you'll see that around the fertile window, it does change. 
So it does yeah. feel different. It feels usually softer and usually in a different position, like usually in a higher position. And then after you mm. ovulate, it does feel firmer and it, it does go to a lower position. Um, so the most dramatic shift happens after ovulation. And so all of this movement and all these changes that I'm talking about with your cervix, those are controlled by our reproductive hormones. So in the first half of the cycle, it's estrogen that softens the cervix and causes it to change and to move higher, essentially moving it into the perfect position to try to be ready for the sperm. And then mm -hmm. it's progesterone after ovulation that really triggers those other changes that causes the uh, cervix to close again, to cause that, that mucus plug to be in place again. Uh, because ovulation only happens once per cycle. And once ovulation happens, there's a chain of events triggered by the changes in hormones. So we ovulate, we release an egg from the ovary. The ovary is what produces our estrogen and our progesterone. And once you ovulate, um, and ovula it's, ovulation is really interesting because when you ovulate, the egg literally bursts out of your ovary. So it's like it causes a scar on the, the tissue because the egg has to come out oh, of wow. the ovary. So yeah. there's a physical change that happens and that physical change triggers the release of progesterone. And so once you ovulate, you make progesterone in significant amounts and that really shuts down further ovulation. It shuts down your cervical mucus production. Um, it changes your uterine lining, like there's all of these hormonal events that, that occur. And when you're charting, you can monitor that. So it goes from it being this theoretical kind of scientific and high school, you know, reminiscent of science biology class. Like it goes from this concept to quite literally like on your chart and you can feel the changes in your body and you can see the changes in your mucus and the temperature, yeah. which we haven't talked about. So if you take your temperature, you know, every day before you get out of bed, what what you'll what you're testing for essentially is your resting metabolism and what's really interesting is that after you ovulate and you produce all this progesterone your metabolism increases in a in a measurable way so if you were to take your temperature every day and write it down on a paper chart or put it in your favorite app or something you would see that after you ovulate your temperature actually rises and stays high and so you have all these physical signs that allow you to confirm ovulation that allow you to pinpoint when you're in your fertile window and then as a woman, if you know, you can to use that information however you want. So some women are yeah. going to say, okay, I don't, you know, maybe you've had a bad experience with hormonal birth control and you're like, that's not for me. And so I'm going to do this instead. So as a method of birth control, when you learn to do it correctly, it's been shown to be up to 99.4% effective in preventing pregnancy. So it's nice to know that there are legitimate alternatives to hormonal birth control. Um, and then for women who are trying to get pregnant, uh, one of the things that I feel like I do with my work a lot is just shatter a lot of the myths about the menstrual cycle. We've all been told that the menstrual cycle is 28 days and ovulation happens on day 14. And so there's women out mm. there who are trying to get pregnant and they have sex on day 14 all the time and they don't get pregnant. They might not know this, but they might inadvertently be practicing birth control um, because the, the, um, the menstrual cycle varies and ovulation doesn't always happen on the same day. And so you can get the timing wrong. Um, yeah. but fertility awareness helps you to really figure out what, when you are actually ovulating in that particular cycle, which is helpful. Um, yeah. So, so ra rather than like using, um, ovulation tests, the little sticks that you pee on, those are not as, um, not as trustworthy, right? Well, I mean, I, of course I have an opinion on the ovulation predictor sticks, but, um, what I found to be most helpful 
I mean, I, I wouldn't say like ovulation predictor kits, no one should ever use them or they don't have their place. But I think that what's yeah. most important is for a woman to have a, a good understanding of her body. Because um, when you understand how the hormones work, so, you know, what the ovulation predictor strips, what they measure is they measure for luteinizing hormone. And so yeah. as you approach ovulation, you're making all this estrogen and eventually the estrogen rises to a point. So it's kind of like a thermostat in your house. Like once the estrogen rises to a certain level, it sends a feedback message to your pituitary and then your pituitary releases luteinizing hormone to trigger ovulation. So luteinizing hormone is what makes your ovaries ovulate essentially. Yeah. And so um, what happens is if you're waiting for that positive ovulation predictor strip result, let's say you were also charting your mucus you would have several days of mucus in a healthy cycle before you ever got that positive. Yeah. Um, and so the, the myth would be that you, you're trying, like the goal is to have sex on ovulation day. Um, that's kind of what our, that's kind of how we talk about it as a culture. Like you're trying to figure out when you ovulate and have sex on that day. Mm -hmm. But when you understand the physiology and the biology of it, Mucus can keep sperm alive for up to five days. So the goal is to have sex when you're fertile, which would be when you have mucus. So to illustrate that, yes. like I have this analogy that I've been sharing a bit because uh, I, I feel like it's just it's more helpful to, to, to get the point across. But so just imagine for a minute that you're trying to get pregnant and, you know, you checking for mucus and you notice that you have this cool, clear, stretchy mucus on Monday. And yeah. so you and your partner go at it and it's wonderful. And then your partner, <laughs> and your partner uh, then has to go on a business trip. So he leaves for Japan and then he's gone. And so you had this lovely mucus on Monday. You had sex on Monday. And then you actually are still charting and you didn't ovulate until Friday. So right. you're charting and you realize, okay, you ovulate on Friday. So it's possible to get pregnant on Friday because you had sex on Monday because your mucus can keep the sperm alive for up to five days. Wow. So your mucus, you know, it, as I mentioned, you know, it, it hurdles, it kind of brings the sperm into your cervical crypts. They hang out there. It's like a little hotel in your body that you didn't know you had. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's really interesting, but when they do the research, the sperm has been shown to be alive, you know, up to five days in, in the mucus. So um, if we can wrap our heads around that, then what we could do, yeah. so my suggestion would be like, not necessarily to throw out the ovulation predictor kits, but um, I would say use them in conjunction with your knowledge of your cycle and your cervical mucus in particular. So yeah. when you, okay. you know, when you get your period, start watching for mucus, start paying attention when you go to the bathroom. And when you see that clear, stretchy stuff, or when you feel that lubricative sensation, not all women have a lot of the clear, stretchy stuff. Some women will just notice that it, they have that sensation of lubrication when they're wiping themselves. But when you feel that, that's when you have the sex. <laughs> have the sex when you see the mucus. And then you can also use the ovulation predictor kits, uh, you know, just to help triangulate it. But you'll notice when you do that, that you'll typically have several days of mucus before the positive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're waiting around for the positive test, you might miss actually but, quite a good opportunity. Exactly. And I've seen it happen as well. And another thing just to point out about the ovulation predictor kits is that they don't confirm that you have ovulated. They're testing for a hormone. So they're telling you that you have a higher level of this luteinizing hormone. There are some women for whom the ovulation predictor kits don't work. So for example, women with polycystic ovary syndrome often have elevated LH levels. 
So then they're having yes. all these positives and it has nothing to do with whether or not they're ovulating. So I think it's helpful to know uh, these tools can be helpful, but they're not infallible. Yeah. So we always have to have mm -hmm. that kind of insurance of understanding how our bodies work in addition to these cool tools. Okay. Well, um, can we talk about periods for a little bit? Yes, of course. <laughs> so uh, we often, we kind of, it's come up a few times of, on the podcast of what, what is a normal period? Because I think, we don't, none of us really talk about them in any great detail. So, it, you know, what, what should a normal period look like? What's, what's the kind of, what are the warning signs that something's wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, so I think I love this question because uh, there's so many, I would say so many myths about periods. And I think the biggest myth is that periods are supposed to be painful and awful and terrible. And we should just expect that and just... <laughs> Um, yeah, that just be the normal. So um, a normal period we would expect to last anywhere from about three to seven days. So there's a such thing, obviously, as a period that's too long or too heavy. But there's also a such thing as a period being too short or too light. And so one of the ways to think of your period, first and foremost, is to kind of understand where it comes from. Uh, so your period is your uterine lining that's shedding when you haven't gotten pregnant the cycle before. And in the first half of your cycle, when you're making all that estrogen, estrogen stimulates our uterine lining and causes it to, to proliferate and grow. And then in the second half of your cycle, when you're making all that progesterone, progesterone causes the lining to mature and to become receptive to an, a fertilized egg. So you're not having a true period unless you've ovulated the cycle before. It is possible to bleed without a, you know, an ovulation. If you're taking the pill, you would bleed when you stop taking those hormones, but that's not the same thing as a true menstrual bleed. And it's possible to have what's called an, an ovulatory cycle. So for a woman who's charting, she might notice that she didn't ovulate, like her temperatures didn't change and her you know, mucus pattern doesn't make sense. Um, mm. And she might have a bleed for a couple of days. But again, a true menstrual period only occurs when you've actually ovulated about 12 to 14 days before that. Um, so when you're thinking about then, you know, your, your bleeding and how much would be normal, when you look at the research, um, a normal period, the volume of bleeding falls somewhere between about 25 milliliters to about 80 milliliters. So somewhere between say two to four ounces or so throughout the course of your whole period. And okay. I think that that's really helpful. So if you use a, a menstrual cup, for example, that would mean that during your entire period, you should fill it at least once. Like if you added it all up for all the days. Okay, should, right. And then if you're bleeding and your period's like a day or like two days, then that would be potentially too short. Um, so for women who are trying to get pregnant, I think it's helpful to, to recognize that there is a such thing as too light and too short. So uh, when, they, they're, when they do ultrasound testing, um, there's actually a certain thickness of the uterine lining that is required to sustain a pregnancy. Um, and so what the research tells us is like when they do one of those internal ultrasounds that are super fun, um, the uterine lining, if it measures less than about seven millimeters, your chances of conceiving and carrying are much lower. Um, yeah, of course. And until the uterine lining is about nine or 10 mil millimeters, that would be when your chances are most ideal and the chance of pregnancy loss is less. So I think that that's also helpful. We live in a society that's very much kind of period shamey and periods are dirty and gross. Oh, so often if women yeah. have really light periods, they're celebrated. It's like, oh, I'm so lucky. Yeah. I only bleed for two days. But it, it could be a problem because if your periods are super light, lighter than that, about 25 milliliter for the, for the whole period, 
then that could be an indication of an issue with hormones or an issue with uh, stress, you know, cortisol levels too high, something that is interfering mm -hmm. with your body's ability to produce hormones and essentially to develop a full, robust uterine lining. Um, but on the flip side, um, I think we all know that like there is a such thing as too heavy. So I think we're much we're much more readily able to identify like what would be too heavy for a period. Yeah, yeah, and and hopefully too painful as well. Because like you said, um, there seems to be this idea that they're supposed to be painful, but but they shouldn't be crippling. Mm hmm. Well, and that's really important because although pain with periods is really common. It's not normal. And I like to take the period pain out of the context, because if you think about it, there's no other situation where we think pain is totally fine. <laughs> it's only periods. Um, I, yeah. Once I said to, um, I've said this to a number of you know clients when I'm just trying to evaluate like, okay, you know, how much pain do you have? How much bleeding do you have? I'll often get like, well, you know, my pain isn't that bad because, you know, I know a one of my girlfriends, she throws up when she has her period. So, you know, mine isn't that yeah. bad. And so I'll often say like, well, what if your partner had the same degree of pain in his penis for a couple of days every month? <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, oh, well, I don't think he, you know, he'd probably run to the doctor, you know, screaming and pain. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And it's kind of like, well, yeah. Right away. Yeah. So with period pain, it's the only circumstance where we seem to think it's normal and okay. Uh, so one of the things that I did when I was researching for the book is I wanted to figure out like, okay, what are periods? You know, what is actually happening there? And, uh, you know, periods are a normal inflammatory process. So if you think about any other situation when there would be bleeding involved, bleeding typically involves tissue injury, tissue damage, inflammation, right? And so when you look at what actually happens when a woman menstruates, there is this, you know, inflammation, tissue damage, and then um, tissue reparation that has to happen throughout the course yeah. of the period. And so if you think about and understand the period as a normal inflammatory process, then it would make sense that if a woman experienced a lot of pain, maybe it was like the inflammation was too much or that it was just a little bit, you know, like outside of the normal. So I think that is the first step, because when you look at what the research tells us is that women who have really painful periods typically have a higher level of certain inflammatory markers. Uh, so, right. and, yeah. and um, there's a certain women with uh, heavy periods tend to have higher levels of prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are lipids that uh, basically cause smooth muscle contractions, and that is necessary in order for us to eliminate the blood effectively. But in women with pain, they're shown to have upwards of four times the amount. So right there, yeah. we can okay. recognize like, okay, pain might be common, but it's an indication yeah. that she's got like really high inflammatory markers. And that would tell us that something's actually wrong. <laughs> and so what, like, what kind of, um, what kind of treatment can, can we have of, of when, you know, once we've identified that, um, that that's what's happening? Um, well, I mean, one thing to note is that, so just to preface this as well, um, I had painful periods for a really long time as well. So um, this comes from both a place of experience and like empathy and compassion. Uh, and I remember I tried like all the things, like I tried all these different things and it didn't work. So I don't want to be just another person out there being like, and it's super easy just because it's not, it's not yeah. always, it's not always <laughs> like that. <clears throat> yeah, of course. But if you understand what's happening, especially with the pain as part of an inflammatory process, then the first step would be to really look at the possible sources of inflammation. And it's often mm. in our diet and things that could be causing 
hormonal imbalances. So it would kind of be like step one, this is a bigger kind of lifestyle thing. So step one would be looking at all the different sources of possible chemical exposure that you have. So as a woman right, in the okay. world, every product ever made for us contains chemicals that mimic estrogen, xenoestrogenic chemicals. So yes. looking at your lotions and your perfumes and all of those things, looking at your household cleaning products, looking at your laundry detergent. So looking at sources of um, chemicals that could be then disrupting your endocrine system, basically. So that's a big one, but that's, it's important, an important part of it. Um, and then looking at yeah. potential food sources of inflammation. So, you know, what types of oils are you cooking with? Are you cooking with vegetable oils? A lot of us cook with olive oil and canola oil and sunflower oil and safflower oil and things like that. But when you cook with those types of oils, they're potentially already damaged when you get them and they don't withstand heat very well. Uh, so those can be another source of inflammation. So really look at what you're cooking with. So consider switching to saturated fat. I know saturated fats are very, you know, a lot of people have a lot of negative associations with saturated fats, but, you know, do the experiment for yourself. Put some, you know, canola oil in a pan beside some coconut oil and like put them up to high and see which one smokes first. Like, <laughs> don't take my word for it. Just do it for yourself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so looking at the types of oils that you're consuming, what you're eating, um, if you consume dairy products, I'm not an anti-dairy person, but know that the commercial dairy right. products that we, we purchase um, are often inflammatory for a number of different reasons uh, from the right. types of cows that they use. So the, the majority of the commercially processed milk, at least here in North, uh, North America, comes from Holstein cows that have a protein called A1 beta casein. It's like, I won't necessarily take you down the whole rabbit hole, but just no. enough to know <laughs> that certain cows produce milk that is, that is different than others and that okay. tends to be more inflammatory. And then also feedlot cows eating grains, cows aren't even supposed to eat grains, tend to produce more inflammatory milk. So milk can be highly problematic for women, not inherently because there's something wrong with milk, but because of the way our modern society tends to process it. Right, okay. And that wow. also lends itself to the meat. So if you're eating, again, cows are supposed to eat grass. So if we're eating all the cows that eat all the grain and the grain is genetically modified and genetically modified grain means that they're spraying pesticides on it, blah, 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 like the whole thing. So our exposure then to this meat can be more inflammatory. So it's like I said, this is a big conversation. So um, for a lot yeah. of women, when they start identifying these things and recognizing, okay, what are my sources of inflammation? Looking at things to combat the inflammation, like are you eating fish? Are you taking fish oil? Like with the omega-3 fatty acids to counteract some of the exposure to these inflammatory yes. omega-6 fats. So kind of starting there. And then there are several... Uh, specific compounds and nutrients that can support um, just reducing infl inflammation. So magnesium, zinc are potent anti-inflammatory uh, compounds that have been shown to lower the prostaglandin levels in women with period pain and show to improve pain. So I would say yeah. it's a multifaceted thing. Um, and I say that from my both my personal and professional experience, because when I was younger, just to paint the picture, my period pain was so bad that like, <laughs> I used to feel like I went through labor but didn't have a baby at the end. Like, I would be on the floor. I couldn't oh, function. Gosh. And um, I actually have two children, so now I actually know that it was <laughs> worse than the early stages of labor. Because I remember when I actually went into labor, I didn't even know I was in labor. Because I was like, this can't be labor. My period pain is worse than this. This is silly. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So, and I remember hearing people say all kinds of stuff. Like, oh, just try this. And oh, drink crap bark. And blah, blah, blah. And I tried a lot of different things, and it didn't work. 
Um, and so I just want, because there's women listening who have really bad pain and are at the point where they don't even believe it could be better. So I just want you to know mm. like it could be better, it, but it don't, you have to give yourself a, a period of time. Like you have to give yourself like a three month period. And I have, um, you know, two chapters on this in the book. I have a chapter about like normal periods, what's a normal period like. And then I have a chapter yeah. on dealing with period pain where I address a number of different um, modalities. So in addition to what I spoke to you about, like the diet and lifestyle pieces, looking at things like acupuncture, looking at abdominal therapy modalities to break up scar mm. tissues and adhesions, mm -hmm. castoral packs, like you can really hit this hard and make a significant shift in your period pain. Like there is hope. It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that's good to know. I'm sure lots of people listening will be happy to hear that. Um, well, Lisa, I'm not going to keep you too much longer because um, I've had you talking for ages, but um, I think so I just wanted to ask you what the kind of, what what are people finding most surprising in the book? Because, you know, there's so many interesting facts in there. Are there. Is there anything in there that people are really reacting about? Um, a few things. Uh, I think one of the things people find fascinating, especially if they are in the health field or already in the fertility awareness world themselves, are is just how much detail there is about cervical mucus. Uh, yeah. So I detailed cervical mucus to an even greater degree than what I learned in my own training. And to put it into perspective, I mean, I've interviewed a number of medical doctors and I've been interviewed by a number of medical doctors and naturopaths, so health professionals who went to school and spent good money on their training. And this is the type of information that you're not like it's not in medical textbooks. It's not taught in in medical training because I, I actually don't know the exact reason why, but um, I think it's pretty clear that women's health issues aren't necessarily ranking up there with men's health issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's yeah, fairly obvious. Definitely. So it's a bit, it's a much bigger problem as to why it's not there. But I would say that that is uh, really surprising. I've had a number of people comment on like, wow, there's so much to know about cervical mucus and there's so much research and information about it. So why isn't it just widely known? And that's one of the reasons why I, I went into that much detail. I talked about it because I yeah, personally it's... have never seen a resource like that. Um, I would say one of the other aspects that's surprising um, would be I have two pill chapters, and if, if you're going to be pissed off at any point reading the book, it's going to be when you're reading those chapters. Um, <laughs> I was actually going to bring that up. There was, there was definitely something in there that got my blood boiling. Yeah, like there's a lot. And I think what's most surprising, and what was surprising for me writing the book itself, was how much research there was. You kind of know, okay, there's side effects with the pill. I've heard about it. But when you go into the research, there's a lot of it. It's not, it wasn't hard for me to find, you know, it was harder for me to narrow down what I was going to focus on. Yeah. Um, so with all of this research and all this information detailing all of these different side effects with hormonal birth control, uh, I think for a lot of women, it's just surprising that why are we not taught this? And how is it that doctors can still be prescribing this without providing women the bait, like the information so that they can make informed decisions about what they're taking. Yeah, I think the bit that surprised me was that um, when they were first introducing the pill, that the scientists had to kind of create a bleed so that women would would find it acceptable to to take it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell that story really in quickly. Uh, so in my research for the book, I, I read there was there's an interesting book that I read that basically outlined the progression of events from kind of inception to pill coming on the market. And so, you know, the two men essentially who were involved in creating this pill, when they first developed the pill and they were testing it on women, I mean, first of all, this is a different time. So the pill came out in 1960. So this would be the time in the late 50s. There was no precedent for this. Before the pill, 
there was no way for a woman to stop her period unless she had a hysterectomy mm. or was pregnant or was breastfeeding or otherwise was sick. And so there were women in the trial who were trying to get pregnant because they were also thinking that this would be helpful for fertility, like stopping the period and then starting it again type of thing. So what happened was mm. they gave the women the pill and this was before the pill was formulated to include this, you know, seven day, four day withdrawal bleed. And so these women went on the pill and then they just stopped menstruating. And so they all just assumed they were pregnant. And some of them were really excited about that. And then the doctors like tried oh, to explain gosh. to them that, no, you're not pregnant. This thing stopped you from bleeding. Uh, but the women couldn't get it because of 1950s, no precedent for this. And finally, when they figured it out, they were like straight up angry, right? And disappointed and upset. And yeah, the whole thing. So, oh man, we've all, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then the doctors decided at that point, so that was, all, that was kind of like the beta version, right? So then the doctors decided after that experience that they needed to, to in, incorporate this withdrawal bleeding. So, you know, what I say in the book is that from the very beginning, women were lied to about how the pill works because we were basically told that we could continue having our natural cycles, but just not get pregnant. But that's not what happens. So what happens is our natural periods or natural menstrual cycles are halted they're stopped and instead of our natural cycles we it is replaced with essentially like a fake chemical cycle that isn't a cycle at all because it just stops us from mm. ovulating and then we stop taking the hormones for a couple days and it causes us to just bleed and then it, again we continue with the pill and so even to this day the myth prevails and that's why I think it's important to know where it came from because yes. then you can understand how it's even possible that 60 years later, this myth still prevails. You still have women argue, like, just, you know, follow my Instagram. There's women, like, arguing, like, no, it is a real bleed and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I'm so sorry, honey. It's not. It never was. They lied to you. Well, um, on that note. So <laughs> 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 uh, it's, it's really, really interesting, I think. Um, and I think it's good that we know it, you know, I think. I think with the pill, I think a lot of our listeners, um, obviously the pill is used in IVF. And so, you know, in those scenarios, it's, you know, we're taking a lot of hormones and that's kind of different thing we're talking about. But I think as a con contraceptive method, I think it's interesting to know where it came from and, and what it does. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, and that's an interesting point. I mean, I think it's helpful. It's hard for women who get on this kind of natural train and start to understand their bodies and their cycles. It's, it's hard to reconcile that, say, with the IVF process because the IVF process is own thing. So the IVF process involves the doctor taking control of your cycle and basically forcing your body to do it, you know, to do the things that your body normally would yeah. within the doctor's time frame. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying it's helpful to... I mean, we could talk about, you know, if there's effects on the body and things like that. But ultimately, um, there's a reason that they're doing that, you know, and it's helpful to know it's a very different process than the natural one. So, um, yeah. you know, giving the, the pill, I mean, that is in many ways very counterintuitive, especially if you know all the different things the pill does. It suppresses hormones, it interferes with endocrine function. But the, the thought behind it is that the pill will, you know, reset the cycle. So you take it and then you can you know come off of it give the body estrogen give the body progesterone like kind of make you yeah know? exactly um yeah so but it's it as soon as you start to understand and recognize all the different you know impacts and stuff like that it can really cause a bit of dissidence because it's just like well 
why? I don't understand. Doesn't like this, doesn't this yeah. suppress my hormones? Why, why, why? I'm supposed to be trying to get pregnant. Like, so a yeah. good thing to talk to about with your IVF doctor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think the book is fascinating and this has been a great chat. So, so thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for having me, Gabby. Obviously, we could have talked for a long time. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now it's time for IVF. What the F? What the freaking F? Um, this is, as, as mentioned at the top of the show, yeah. um, a practical question. Yes. Because um, I've, I've done three medicated rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, got, got a lot of drugs. Left with a lot of drugs in my life. Yeah. First couple of rounds, I didn't really know anyone to give pass them on to. Last round, I just didn't, like, didn't get there fast enough and all the, all the um, expiry dates ran out. Mm. I feel like estrogen expiry dates pretty quick it's pretty pretty, pretty snappy yeah, right. yeah. yeah um so we just wonder what you're supposed to do with it because it just seems an awful waste at the end yeah especially if you're paying i've got like three bemfola in my freezer in my lettuce drawer in my fridge have you, still have you? yeah oh so okay. installed correctly yeah well exactly yeah but in case what in case what what am i going to do with it like, yeah it's probably got to go in the bin right yeah um yeah and i've got bits of everything yeah a lot of people donate it we couldn't recommend that course of action because the medical establishment wouldn't recommend that course of action. No. And to be fair, I wonder if a lot of people are, are like me. I don't have loads. I don't have enough mm-hmm. to, for it to be like meaningful enough to be like, here, 
Here, this is going to be really helpful for you. Yeah. So I've got like two of this, one of that. Yeah. Three of that. You know, it's, not, it's not meaningful. My clinic was pretty good at like prescribing the exact amount that I needed. Mm, yeah. But um, yeah, I just have medications left from my cancelled realms more than anything. Oh yeah, fair enough. But it's all died. It's all out of out of date. Bloody balls. I know, it's really annoying. Anyway, uh, we asked Professor Tim what his thoughts on the matter were. Interesting to know. Yeah. But unfortunately, the drugs used in IVF are, as people will be aware, very, very expensive. However, um, once those drugs have been dispensed to patients, in general, clinics can't take those drugs back again because um, it wouldn't be correct to hand those drugs on to another patient since you couldn't really uh, confirm that they'd been looked after properly by the by the first patient, and obviously you don't want to put the, the, the cycle at risk for the second patient. So um, in general, clinics can't take these drugs back. Um, so I suppose the best thing to do, if, you, if, if, if there are drugs that you've not actually opened or started to use yet, would be to keep them. The, the shelf life is pretty long for these um, drugs um, in case you need to have a further cycle. Um, if, if you're going to discard them, then you could um, you'd take them into um, a pharmacy or back to the IVF unit and they can discard them for you. That's useful. Thanks, Professor Tim. Hey, mate. Hello. All right. Yeah. Uh, big week this week. It has been a big week. Cool. Um, I had my twelve-week scan yesterday. Oh, um, at thirteen F-G. weeks. <laughs> yes. At thirteen weeks. Um, yeah. Fucking hell. I spent all day like on edge. I was on edge. Everyone was on edge. I think. We Apart were... from my mum, who thought it was today. <laughs> she was fairly relaxed. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, uh, so left the house in the morning, decided to try and dispose of my um, sharp spins. I've got three sharp spins full of used needles. Okay. Um, yeah, so I decided I was going to take them into the clinic. Yeah. So I was going to the same building for my scan. So I was like, perfect, I'll do a little drop-off. Seems the right way of doing it. A little it. spicy drop-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put it on Instagram and, um, yeah, loads of people. It turns out you don't have to take it to the clinic. You can also take it to a pharmacia. Pharmacia. A pharmacia. Pharmacia. Um, just, just take it to Boots, apparently. Really? Yeah. Please have my used needles. Yeah, I know. I'm not doing it. But mate, well, how are you going to do the picture of the baby surrounded by the creepy needles? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I'll have to forgo it. Oh. Yes. I don't really want to get my hands in my needle box. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's probably some we didn't put tops on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't really want to get stuck in there. Um, but it was a bit of a waste of time because we got to the um, clinic and of course my scan was at 6pm. Mm-hmm. The clinic, I think, must shut up shop at like 5. Because uh... we, we got there at like <laughs> half past and no one was there. We're like, oh, fuck. Um, okay. But yes, yeah, so it went up to the, uh, the next floor, like upgraded to the floor upstairs. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you literally levelled up. Yeah, literally. And uh, yeah, um, a guy came out and we went into a room and he did my blood pressure and my blood to okay. test for, um, do a Downs test. Okay. Um, blood pressure, both arms at the same time. What? No one has ever done that before. What? Yeah. I have never heard of that I before. I was like, why are we doing that? This is weird. And he was like, well, you know, it's a research hospital. So we're, we think that maybe this is a better way of doing it. So we're just trying it out. I was like, okay. Double BP. <laughs> yeah, it felt really weird. Um, and then uh, it took a bit longer than my husband. And, my husband was sitting outside waiting. And when I came out, he was like, 
are you okay? What's been going on? I was like, no, no, it's fine. Just, just calm down. He was obviously just like so like wound up. Um, it's good to know that he shared your emotions. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, then we went in for the scan. Shit. Yep. Fuck. Uh, I had to pull my trousers quite far down, which was fun. Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. Was this your first belly scan? Then? Yes. Ooh. Apart from the one they do, obviously they scan your belly when they're doing transfer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's but this is my first proper belly scan. Yeah. yeah. So you've graduated from the, yeah. the dildo cam. I know. No vag. Congratulations. I'd worn like quite scruffy knickers as well, oh. so I was quite glad <laughs> I'm not having to take my trousers. Um, and yeah, like you know, they found a heartbeat straight away and, and oh said the heartbeat. They so just... your blood pressure instantly dropped. Yeah. They shouldn't have done your blood pressure before. I know, right? <laughs> like, probably quite high right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they found the blood, like, the heartbeat straight away, and we heard it, and it was incredible. And it was just, I mean, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but, it like, it was it was pretty amazing. Um, and kind of halfway through the scan, it became apparent that um, I think the guy doing it was a, stu- was a student. Mm-hmm. And um, quite a few... Uh, when I read the reviews for King's Maternity, lots of people were complaining that, like, students were doing their scans. But I was kind of like, I, you know, I'm cool with this. Yeah, like, who cares? I'm happy. I'm just lying back and, you know, all is well. So I don't care how long this takes. I guess if they're students who aren't very good at it yet and they, like, can't find a heartbeat, that would be awful. Oh, that would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Okay. They couldn't get a cross section, which is like way, the, the classic scan pick where it's like from the side, yeah. whole body long. Yeah. They couldn't seem to get that because the baby was going like wriggling around like a nutcase, um, which was great for me and my husband because oh, we yeah, were just like amazing. enthralled. Um, but they couldn't do it. And so I think they went and called for help. And basically, next thing I know, Greek Adam Buxton walks in the room. <laughs> For those American listeners, he's like a, com- a UK comedian sl- slash kind of podcaster. With great eyebrows. With great eyebrows. He's kind of like short and beardy, <laughs> but with a kind face. So anyway, this short beardy guy with a kind face waltzes in <laughs> and is like quite kind of like, oh, yeah, how's it going? What can't you find? Oh, let's have a look. I didn't realise he was Irish. Greek Irish. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Oh, but it was just quite funny. It was just, and he was like, he was really chatty. He was like, oh, you know, it's IVF. Like, was it first time? Was it downstairs? And I was like, yeah, 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 it was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and yeah, and eventually he was like, right, do you want us to take a guess at the sex? What? And I was like, oh, we're about to have a massive revelation. I know. I wasn't ready for it. I was like, oh, what? Uh, yeah, I guess. Okay. And so, yeah, him and the lady who was scanning as well. At 12 weeks. At 12 13. 13. 13 weeks was like, yeah, we think it's a boy. <gasps> I know, yeah. I was Aww. like, yeah, obviously I can see a little penis. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that made it feel real, real Mate. AF. Yeah. My mum always, my, so my mum had my brother in Luxembourg. Oh, yeah. And um, apparently when they were doing the scan, they went, ah, uh, madame, I see a little zizi. <laughs> little zizi really? yeah so that was fucking weird I was like oh shit wow okay Mate. wasn't 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 like expecting that at all um, and then it turns out that Greek Adam Buxton is actually a pioneer of fetal medicine wow and the guy that discovered 
the whole fluid at the back of the neck connection with um, Down syndrome. Down syndrome. Oh my god! So you had an actual like a celebrity, yeah. yeah. And he was looking at the fluid on the back of the baby's neck, and I was like, "Well, I feel like I'm in good hands." Yeah, and it looked good. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, see, you know," he explained like this would be a lot bigger if it, you know, blah 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 blah. Oh so you're looking good. All of this, I was like, "Wow, God, that's, I mean, very calming, soothing." Yeah, it was quite soothing. I mean, it was quite a funny appointment, to be honest. It yeah. was all quite amusing. Um, it's good that it was amusing because I spent my twelve week scan like, li- well, not literally pissing myself, but close to. Just so nervous. So nervous, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, like, every every measurement they go to try and get, like, my husband was second-guessing everything, just like, what does that mean? Is that too small? Is that too big? What's going on? Why is that blue and that's red? Why, you know, la, 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 la. So he was apparently, in his head, was just going through all these things and not saying them, and I was... That's I, so funny. I was just kind of, like, in awe. He's quite a chill guy, though, Mr. Gabby. Mm, no, he's not. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. And he's a hypochondriac, so he's a, he's a hypochondriac for the baby. Oh, great. Um, yeah, hilarious. Um, so, yeah, it was it was good. Mate, yeah. that is the best possible news. I'm so over the moon for you. Yeah, it really was. It's just, I, I was so worried because you didn't text me for an hour after your appointment. I know. Well, it, like, can I just say, you were the first person I told. Oh, mate, thank yeah. you fact thanks the appointment was quite long i think because perhaps they were students and it just took a little bit longer to get all of the measurements or whatever so it was quite long my neck was like because i because i was lying on my back but like straining to look at the screen yeah so like after i think it was like 40 minutes i was like oh oh yeah dizzy and weird God. So what did they measure? Can you remember? Oh, everything. I did don't they? Know. Yeah. So it was kind of an anatomy scan by the sounds of it. Because uh, at yeah. my 12-week scan, they literally just measured, like, its length. No, they looked at all sorts. Like, they were looking at, like, uh, organs. Wow. So that not... Different bits. That, we didn't have that until our 20-week scan. Yeah. It's strange. I guess yeah. they just... They do what they can. They do have very cool um, ultrasound machines at your hospital, don't they? Because you've shown me ultrasounds that are pin sharp compared to the blurry shit I've had to deal with. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They still don't print out a picture for you, though. That's annoying. You have to take a picture of the screen. That's really annoying. Yeah. I thought that was a bit like, come on, guys. Yeah. Print it off. At my one, you're supposed to pay £5, but I never have. Oh, Mm, good. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Hey. Um, yeah, so that's me. I've still got my needles, but <laughs> I also still have, uh, hopefully, baby inside, which oh, is good. Well, I'm so happy for you. Thanks, mate. It's mental. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so great. Yeah, I was totes emotion afterwards. I bet you were. What did you do after? I went for dinner because it was our anniversary. Oh, um, oh, <laughs> mate. I know. <laughs> it's our anniversary the night before. So we went for some fur. The Vietnamese in Peckham. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. And now my husband's jetted off to Chicago for a business trip. Has he? Yeah. That's fancy. I know. I was like, if it had not been good news, you had not, you were not going to Chicago. You realise <laughs> this. And he was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so you're just chilled now. How yeah. long's he there for? Back on Friday night. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Love Island for me for the next few yes. months. <laughs> yes, mate. <laughs> Oh, cool. Anyway, yeah, that's that's me. Wow, that's a big news. Yeah, big news. Big, big news. old news. Yeah, and like, thanks to everyone that got in touch on Instagram as well. I had so much, so much love from everyone, which I was also totally emotional about. Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> um. Anyway, Emma. 
Hello. How art thou? Okay. Um, I... I've, like, I've really gone over how I'm going to phrase this a lot of times. Okay. In short, I'm very uncomfortable. Oh. So I'm 31 weeks tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time this goes out, I'll be 30, almost 32 weeks. Which is like, get, you know, I'm, I'm significantly into my third trimester now. Yeah. Um, I'm not big. I'm not big. No. But I'm just, there's like a lot of baby where my other organs should be. Mm-hmm. And things like finding it quite hard to sleep, um, quite achy, just achy all over, all mm. the time. Mm. Can't, cannot get comfortable in any position. And these are all massive moans, aren't they? Like, it's me complaining about being pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Moan, klaxon. Mm, yeah, exactly. But I, was, I woke up at, like, four o'clock in the morning the other day, because I can't really sleep much beyond that at the moment. And I was really achy, so I, like, gently nudged John and was like, John, John. And he was like, what? And I was like, are you asleep? <laughs> Classic line. <laughs> and he was like, no. And I was like, can I have a back rub? Oh, and then, wow. And he was rubbing my back, and I was lying there complaining about the fact that it was 4am and I had acid reflux and mm-hmm, my back mm-hmm, hurt. And, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. and he was like, mate, being pregnant sounds shit. And I was like... Do you know what? I'm really uncomfortable. But it is... I haven't cried properly, like proper, proper cries of grief mm. for six months mm-hmm. since I last bled. Yeah. I haven't, and I'm going to be really honest here, guys, I haven't had any thoughts about suicide for mm. a really long time. Not that I was like massively having problems before but I think everybody who's been through infertility just idly thinks about Mm. how you can make it all stop I don't know oh god I don't know if that sounds that's quite dark odd I had some dark I went through periods of having really 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 dark thoughts Mm. I haven't had that for for months yeah like physical symptoms I can really deal with but like the mental stuff from infertility I just I found so hard and the fact that it just never ends there's no end in sight with Mm. infertility yeah that's well that's definitely the worst thing about it yeah you can kind of go through whatever if you know that there's an end point but of course you can never know that which is the kind of fucking real shitter about it absolutely so I just think it's really um I am uncomfortable and I, you know, physically, I've got physical symptoms that make me uncomfortable mm. and it's mm-hmm. a bit shit. And like, mm-hmm. I, I got, <laughs> I got home yesterday. I've been quite emotional recently. Yes. Got, home, <laughs> got home yesterday and cried because I was so tired. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but, but I can deal with that stuff. It's fine. Mm. And it's going to end in like two and a half months. Wow. Yeah. Whereas like, I just, I'm so... I cried also yesterday because I felt so lucky to feel so awful. <laughs> God, that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's so weird. Crying because I feel like there's yeah. crying because it's lucky. So it's, um, I guess what I'm saying is it's really, like, it's really weird because I feel stupid having these complaints, having these, like, physical, these earthly complaints. Mm. When, you know, a year ago I was so messed up. Mm. Like, my head was in horrible places. I, 
a year ago, I think I was just about to have my first cancelled round. Well, we just this started the podcast. Now. Yeah, we just started recording our first episodes, hadn't we? Mm. And and I was just, you know, this was helping. Us talking was helping, but I was fucked up. Mm. I was in a really dark place. And now I just feel so grateful that I've got all these horrible <laughs> symptoms. Yeah. I just like, you know, I can't get out of chairs very easily. But I feel lucky that I can't. Yes. And it's a weird feeling because every time I'm like, every time I get up and I'm like, oh, because I can't now get up without making a noise or sit down, actually. <laughs> um, I just feel so grateful. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Yeah. It's just so, yeah, that's basically me at the moment is a weird combination of crying, uncomfortable, but hashtag blessed. <laughs> It's a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> it's a really weird place to be. <laughs> Up and down. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, mate. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to get all deep. No, that's that's all right, dude. That's what this is all about. Yeah. And then the other thing that happened to me this week, really quickly. Oh, yeah. And sorry to to you if any of my bosses are listening, but I got headhunted for a job that I would ordinarily be really up for. Interesting. Really cool job. Um, that's like twenty minutes walk away from my house, um. but I had to basically tell the headhunter that I was seven and a half months pregnant and she instantly lost interest and was like oh well we actually need someone right now and I was like am I being discriminated against but also I yeah that's the first like I don't know the first time that my pregnancy has like prevented me from doing something Mm. so that was weird that is weird yeah but interesting yeah also like it wouldn't have offered like quite as good benefits as my current job so if any of my bosses are listening i ain't leaving yes you should probably say that yeah yeah ain't leaving anytime soon Nuh-uh. but yeah that was that was a weird thing it's funny like, isn't it yeah it's weird it's like when i went to my job interview i was like what yeah. am i doing is this is this okay i'm like should i be doing this yeah i know <laughs> it's weird that that happened to you last week and then this i know this week Sorry for being a bit of a copycat. No, it's quite alright, mate, any time. Yeah, but, yeah, just a, a funny old week, I think. Yeah, indeed. And sit two. That's it. Yeah. For another week. Yeah, this is, um, in case anyone's interested, episode 20 that we've just listened no one's to. interested. How many do we have in our first season? 21. Equally, no one's, no one's interested. So we're almost equals. Yeah, we're 21, 21. Even Stevens. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. We'll see you next week. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.